This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by FingerTech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out FingerTech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. FingerTech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. Behind the tankard of mead at the New York Renaissance Fair, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Kyle. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Nicole. And today on the podcast, our interview with brand new Tantrum co-captains, Ginger Schmidt and Alex Grant. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Before we get into today's news, I need to issue a correction. Several weeks ago, I incorrectly stated that Mobot had approached BattleBots, who helped connect the company with Craig Danby and his lifter bot, Slamo. That was incorrect. In fact, Craig Danby found Mobot himself and brought the company to BattleBots, which later signed them on to an arena-side sponsorship deal. Uh, I want to formally apologize for that error on behalf of Kyle, who originally made it. Kyle, I just threw shade at you. You did, and it's accurate shade, so that's perfectly fine. Hey, I... I misunderstood. I thought, Craig, I, I just did not follow the full train of events. It happens. Sorry, Craig. Uh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, and listen, Craig, tell me if I'm wrong, and I'll issue yet another correction about this. Uh, but uh, I feel like the show kind of like pitched it as like, oh, look, we, we found Mobot and then we brought it and brought Mobot to Craig Danby. I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and, and rewatch the tape, Kyle. But uh you know, I, I, we we have pretty good memories, and and somehow we both we both uh, you know had this had this in our mind. We both got that one wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? That's yeah, accurate. All right, let's go back and review the tape. Who knows? This is your only strike, Kyle. That's fair. Kyle's never gotten anything else wrong. I've never gotten anything else wrong. That's not true. I've gotten things. I've gotten several things wrong. I think at one point I said Huge's wheels were thirty-seven inches. Uh, in diameter when it actually they're 40 you know i've messed things up i forgot about that one yeah yeah it's it's a thing inexcusable we should (laughs) have kicked you out of the podcast immediately kyle (laughs) it's not good we're a bastion of truth kyle all right i can't believe this all right well we will always issue corrections when called out so there we go. Yeah. We need one of those immediate fact checkers that they have for like political debates that are just like, you know, this is wrong. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Kyle's uh Kyle's facts this uh this week were nine and a half Pinocchios, all right? So <laughs> Yes. All right, time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have two news items for you today. This is a very short one. First up, with filming of the 2021 season of BattleBots wrapped and most of the teams now back home. 
All eyes are now on brand new team memorabilia for sale. I want to highlight a couple team swag stories this week. First up, if you really want to get your hands on those elusive team poker chips, Scorpios and Hijinx are selling a small number of poker chips for $5 each on their team stores. Speaking of Hijinx, team captain Jen Herkenroder is also selling large team patches, perfect for a BattleBots jacket for $52 each. But the ultimate team memorabilia for sale this week are a pair of battle damage top plates from the season three and season four iterations of Duck. As of Monday night, these huge panels were selling for more than $800 each on eBay. I, uh, my, my birthday is coming up. So if anyone's listening to this podcast and really wants to get me the ultimate gift, Duck top plates, I would love it. And finally, this weekend, Chris, Lindsay, Kyle, and I are headed back to Norwalk, Connecticut for the September edition of Norwalk Havoc. If you're in the Connecticut area and want to catch the competition live, audience tickets cost $10 each and doors open at 9 a.m., I believe. If you want to catch the show online, we'll be streaming until literally midnight Eastern on YouTube. Look for a link on Saturday on our Facebook page. And that's it for this week's news. After the break, our interview with Ginger Schmidt and Alex Grant from Tantrum. This interview is brought to you by Just Cause Robotics and friend of the pod, Seth Schaefer. Seth has competed in BattleBots with Bloodsport and in Season 6 with Retrograde. His goal is to make it easier for new builders to get involved in combat robotics through guides and tutorials and now custom products. If you're interested in learning more, check out his website at justcuzrobotics.com. That's just C-U-Z robotics.com. This week on the podcast, we have two very special guests, Tantrum co-captains Ginger Schmidt and Alex Grant. Ginger and Alex have both been building robots for years and came up through FIRST Robotics. In college, Alex competed at NASA's robotic mining competition, attempting to build robots capable of mining for raw materials in outer space. Ginger is a PhD student at MIT and studies medical engineering. Both Ginger and Alex have competed with Tantrum since 2018 and travel with Aaron Hill to China in 2019 to compete on King of Bots with Boxing Champion. This season, they're stepping into the limelight as co-captains of Tantrum, while Aaron captains the new and very adorable flipper bot, Blip. We're looking forward to learning more about both of these captains in the hour ahead. So welcome to the show, Ginger and Alex. Thank you so much for having us on. We're so excited to be here and share everything with you all. Yeah, yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, we are so, so happy to have you on. First off, congratulations on, uh, I guess, getting promotions to uh, to co-captains this year. That's very exciting. Um, I also feel that my, uh, my, my introductions are usually woefully inadequate for these. So um, when we have two people on, what we like to do is we like to ask uh, them to introduce one another. So like maybe any fun facts that you know about the other person, stuff that's uh, perhaps secret. Um, Alex, maybe we can start with you. Uh, can you tell us more about Ginger? Who is Ginger and what makes her awesome? <laughs> That's a good uh, way of introducing people. Uh, Ginger Schmidt uh, met her through robotics, uh, through BattleBots, actually, uh, when Aaron Hill brought her in from uh, the uh, Spartan Robotics uh, FRC team. And so she came in uh, with tons of experience under Aaron's tutelage uh learning all the ins and outs. Uh, and from what I, you know, fun fact about Ginger that she likes to talk about, 
Um, the FRC, she's one of the people that was not really interested in engineering until getting into it. And I mean, look at her now. She's, you know, now attending MIT as a PhD student. Uh, and I'd say that's pretty impressive and a pretty big uh, turnabout face and like life career. So it's really exciting. That is super cool. Um, Ginger, tell us more about Alex. Um, who is Alex? What makes Alex awesome? Uh, you know, any secret facts that you know about Alex? Yeah, Alex is a research mechanical engineer at UCSD, which is really cool because he gets to support cutting edge research in many different labs, helping them build various structures, devices, things they need to support the work they're doing. So He's like super multifaceted, super talented, and can pretty much do anything. Um, a fun fact about Alex is that he drives an orange car and he also rides motorcycles, but his got, I believe, stolen. So he's on the hunt for a new motorcycle. And one thing I really like about Alex is that he is super kind and he makes everything fun. So I really enjoy building robots with him because even in like the hardest times, we always find a way to laugh about what's going on and have a good time. All right, Alex, um, I would love to uh, to learn a little bit more about you. So let's focus on you. Uh, first off, stolen motorcycle. I'm very sorry to hear about that, I hope that, uh, that you find it. Um, I, I would love to hear more about your work in robotics. So like, how did it start? Um, what was the first combat robot that you helped build? You know, um, did you, uh, were you a fan of BattleBots like from a very young age? Can you kind of just give me an introduction to, uh, to your, uh, your experience with, with robots? Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll I'll go chronologically, I guess. And so I think it does start pretty young uh, with the Comedy Central era BattleBots. Uh, you know, I had to sneak out and watch episodes late at night because uh, turns out having Carmen Electra as the uh, as the poster child <laughs> didn't exactly make me, the parents happy. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so I started watching that as a kid, uh, got really interested in it and eventually ended up getting, you know, toys of, uh, some of the various robots, you know, those old tiger electric toys. Uh, and, you know, I'll bring that up again later, but, uh, from there it was kind of, you know, Legos, that sort of, you know, all the typical stuff that you hear about from like a young person that goes into engineering. Um, but then in high school, they had first robotics, uh, like my sophomore year, uh, was the rookie year for our team, uh, in Minnesota. And so I did that for three years as a student, then, uh, loved every minute of it too. Uh, but then moved on to college where I took a year off of FRC, met Aaron Hill and my freshman year, uh, I think it was Aaron's junior. It's, it gets all muddy now, but, uh, we had a NASA robotic mining competition that uh, was super exciting at the time. It is, you know, definitely modeled off of FRC. And so it's kind of going towards the familiar. Uh, we joined the team that was existing, Aaron and I, um, and kind of got to know each other there. Uh, he worked in the machine shop at school. Uh, and from there, I learned a lot of the machining that... I have now taken all the way up until now working on like tantrum and stuff, but, um, got a job in that same machine shop. And, uh, I guess the rest is history there. The net, the, the NASA robotic mining competitions are pretty cool. 
uh, segue at the collegiate level that uh, definitely gives you more room to breathe than FRC. So you can kind of really try all these wacky out there ideas um, and uh, have like a bit more of a high stress, uh, like one and done type of competition. Um, but it was a really cool transition going from, you know, FRC to that sort of competition. And then after college, we did that for a few years and had some, some great success. We, we won the whole competition, I think my junior year and then senior year, Aaron was gone, but then we got like the very first fully autonomous run. Uh, so some fun accolades there. Um, then from there we moved on, uh, I think it was after college, like a year or two, Aaron and I just kind of chatted, um, not as much as we do now, uh, or in college and just, uh, didn't lose contact, but just didn't talk as much. And then, uh, he starts, you know, he comes to me, says he's going to start tantrum. Um, it wasn't tantrum at the time, but we kind of knew what the robot we wanted to build was. And that was the, the flipper, uh, the first iteration of that, which we brought to season three. And if you if you don't remember it, there's there's good reason. <laughs> it, I think only one episode was televised, or two no two fights were televised. It was the battle royale with cheese and the uh, tombstone fight. Um, but that was our first combat robot um, ever for I think everybody on the team. So it was uh, a bit ambitious. We thought we knew better, and we didn't. And then. Moved on to season four, five, and now six. So pretty exciting. I I would love to learn more about this NASA challenge because I find it so interesting. Um, so like, what what are some of the inherent challenges in in building a um, a, a mining robot that you hadn't encountered before um, at First Robotics or with other robots you had built before? You know. Um, can you tell us about the challenges? Um, you know, how, how do you test uh, which which mining robot is the best? You know, can you tell us more about that, that competition? Uh, yeah, no problem. Uh, so a little history on it. The NASA Robotic Mining Competition um, branched off of what was a Centennial Challenge. Um, and NASA hosts the Centennial Challenges, and they still do to this day, where they'll put a uh, prize uh purse on some engineering challenge and interesting fact about that actually was uh paul of bite force fame uh competed in that same thing and so he actually took the centennial challenge home and took home the uh, i think it was a five hundred thousand dollar prize purse um and so after they did that they decided to turn it into an educational component of uh i believe the kennedy space center funding and so the competition itself is building a rover that fits a certain size constraint. Um, but then pretty much after that, you're pretty loose on what you have, but you gain points by having your rover traverse an obstacle field, dig their lunar simulant, and then return it and dump it off. And then you lose points for every pound your rover weighs. And then they had a bunch of other criteria uh, that they tweaked and adjusted every year to year. But in general, the competition was the same um, from year to year. Uh, you'd go dig some lunar regolith simulant and then return it back to the the home base. 
Uh, so some special challenges about that that you really don't realize, I guess, until you start working with Lunar uh, Simulant or just any sort of thing like that, um, is that the Lunar Dust, the Regolith, is actually extremely sharp uh, rocks and dust. Um, so when you look at sand and like a beach, it's had millions of years of uh, erosion to basically turn every pebble, every grain of sand itself into a rounded, like easy to flow uh, granule. Whereas on the moon, you don't have that erosion. There's no wind, there's no surf, there's nothing. And so all the rocks there are extremely sharp volcanic uh, ash. And so it doesn't flow like you'd expect it to. And it's actually kind of, it has very strange properties that most people don't expect. And so for the competition, they actually truck in, um, uh, what was it? It's, it's a, sometimes they actually go to like uh, Mauna Kea in Hawaii, which is the volcano there to actually drive in volcanic ash there. But for this, it was a byproduct of a mining process that they use uh, to simulate the lunar regolith. But the the dust is just like this crazy stuff that you you know can't breathe. Everyone's in full bunny suits with full respirators on. And uh, it's really hard to test with. And so we had to come up with our own simulant that wasn't a carcinogen and <laughs> that sort of thing. But uh, stuff that you wouldn't expect for a uh, robotic competition at any level, but that's uh, kind of the thing that you have to figure out. That's really cool. Um, one last question before I, I learn a little bit more about Ginger. So like um, you've competed at first, you've competed at this lunar competition. Now you've competed at BattleBots. These are all three very different types of robotic engineering competitions. How would you describe them? Like, do they go from most structured to completely unstructured? You know, like, is the competition more fierce in one or the other? You know, like when you think about these three very different engineering competitions, like how would you characterize them? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. And I mean, I think the answer varies based on who you're talking to. And so, um, you know, at the high school level, it's it's in on average right you have everyone just trying to learn and teach the high schoolers right you're you're a mentor to the high schoolers you're not you know getting this whole sandbox that you can play in um because the goal is first and foremost to you know inspire youth and so that's it's definitely a different mentality some people treat it uh as that sandbox but not everybody does so on average i'd say it's it's definitely a educational thing um, and then going to the collegiate level, like the NASA Robotic Mining Competition, you're kind of uh, letting yourself set your expectations and uh, learning what you want to learn, I think is the, the big thing. That was a big part of our team uh, that I think led us to a lot of success and a lot, a lot of recognition was that we take whatever you want to learn about, you know, whether it's how to dissipate heat in a Martian environment or lunar environment, um, how to make a track system, like a, a caterpillar track system that actually works with this sort of material and, you know, evacuates the material. Um, you kind of set your expectations and you dive in as hard as you want. Um, and then BattleBots is similar in that sense, but I think it's a lot more of a, like, 
you know, I'll build my robot, you'll build your robot, and we'll go in the arena and see what happens. Obviously, with the Seems Reasonable crew, with Blip and Tantrum, we, we want to try some new things, but uh, it's, it's, it's less of a science experiment, I'd say, and more of an engineering challenge, so... Right. Yeah. Um, Ginger, I'd, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. So you grew up in Silicon Valley. Um, incidentally, I, I grew up in Palo Alto. You know, you grew up uh, just a couple towns over, which is very cool. Um, so I think I know a little bit about uh, probably your high school experience. But um, as as Alex was saying in, in kind of like his introduction of uh, you know, for you, it sounds like, um, you came to first robotics in high school. Um, like how did you make the decision to, to, to build robots in high school? And can you talk about where that decision has, has taken you? Yeah. So I think I may have a slightly non-traditional path to robotics, at least among the people who are within the BattleBots community. And I think it's something that I'm, I guess, proud of. I do think it's different, but I think it's like important to share like diversity of how people came to the sport. So in that sense, like I really before high school didn't even know robotics was a thing. Like I really always loved math. I guess that was consistent for me is I loved my math classes. Those are always my favorite. Um, But I was more into like poetry and like writing and reading. And I did a lot of crafting, actually. I loved art. Art was always my favorite class as well, in addition to math. And so when I started high school, being sort of in the Silicon Valley and um, having the fortune to have two parents that are both like engineers, there's definitely a lot of pressure to, I think, pursue something of that discipline. And so I signed up for robotics um, as an elective on a whim because it was a requirement in high school to have a certain number of electives. And I was like, okay, I'll just choose this one. I have some friends in the class. It seems cool. And that is sort of like where I then realized the passion, like the excitement, the application of everything I had liked, sort of almost like the art and the crafting with the math and the, the, I guess, thinking. It was super fun. And then I really decided probably like junior year that I wanted to be an engineer. And that is where it all began with first in high school. So I'd say that would be sort of my TLDR to how I came into robotics. That's really cool. And I absolutely agree. I mean, um, diversity of paths to get to to engineering is really, really interesting. I mean, diversity in the sport is incredibly interesting. Diversity in robotics is really interesting because, you know, the, the more diverse group that we have, you know, the more different ways, you know, we can think about how to solve problems, which I think is really cool. Um, I guess before junior year, did you like if you hadn't gone into first, do you think you'd be an engineer now? I mean, um, have you thought about what your major would have been if if you hadn't um, tried out first robotics? Yeah, I think it probably would have been like math, to be honest. And I don't know if it would have been more of like a pure math, like number theory thing, or if I would have ended up going into like statistics or data science. So I guess I still was always like in STEM. Um, But I, yeah, so I guess it probably would have been that. Um, But I'm I'm, I'm really not sure, to be honest. I didn't know. I just liked school, did classes and had friends and, you know what I mean? Like, I, I guess it was 
I don't feel like there was like, I was three years old and I knew I wanted to do it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now you also met Aaron through first robotics. Is that right? Can you tell us a little bit more about, about how you met Aaron? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. So I joined, like I said, like sophomore, junior year. So like maybe medium to the game, not too late really, but, um, he was a mentor. So he obviously did first in high school and in college. And he moved to the Bay area to work at a surgical robotics company. And as part of that, he connected with my local team and was just a mentor. And sort of that first year, there was a really complicated wiffle ball serializing mechanism for basically taking like a bucket of balls and shooting them as fast as you could. And so um, we worked together on that mechanism really closely during my senior year in particular. And that project um, working alongside him was really what I think brought me to a level of maybe like rigor, I would say in terms of like, wow, like this is what it means to be like an actual engineer and to like work on a problem that we have no idea how to solve and then get through it and build something and then fix it and have something that actually sort of works at the end. And that process was really cool. And I learned a lot about what it meant to be like a professional engineer by working alongside one. So things like SolidWorks, drawings, manufacturing, assembly, and all of that um, was with him. And then I went to Harvey Mudd College for my undergraduate and I studied engineering there as well. And um, for many of my summers, I ended up interning at the same surgical robotics company that brought him out to the Bay Area initially. And so at that company, we were in the advanced development group. So it was still quite small. And again, we sort of worked alongside each other as peers, um, me as an intern, him as a engineer um, working on, I guess, similar but different projects. A lot of things like, you know, electromechanical ro- motor packaging, um, design stuff, little sort of cutesy things. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of the same, I think in the beginning and we worked really well together. So it was a good balance. I'd love to to hear just a little bit more about Aaron because it feels like, it sounds like one of Aaron's skills is uh, getting a good group of people together, keeping them engaged, like really um, inspiring them, I guess, to stick together. Um, and I feel like that's probably one of these kind of soft skills that BattleBots, good BattleBots captains have, you know, the ability to inspire people to come back, you know, season after season. Um, you know, like when you think about Aaron's leadership skills or I guess his personality, like what was it that made you want to work with him, you know, on many different projects over now multiple years? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think that's something it's hard to put like my finger on it directly, but I would say Aaron definitely has like, whether it be like a stroke of genius or madness, like there's something I think he has <laughs> um, inherently that is exciting. Like he always wants to like try this and have this new project. And he has like really, really big ideas. But um, I think what he has learned as well over the years is in order to put these ideas into practice, you really do need a team of people who can help you in that. And also that have different skill sets. Like I would say not any individual on our team could build a battle bot by themselves. We have team members who really specialize and really have like a different skill set. So like, for instance, I would say like, like I just said, like Aaron's strength is like, he's got these like really big ideas and, um, he, 
has like vision, I would say is a big one. And so that vision, I think really helps like rally everybody around like a central mission. And then from there, people sort of take on their own niche roles. Like you, um, you know, we have people who are really into like math and physics who will sort of sit there and create like really complex spreadsheets proving that our system will actually work. But then there's like other people who are really into like electronics and who do all of our like speed controllers and our motors and take care of that. And so there, you know, there are people who are really, really into their specific thing, but what I think Aaron has is like the crazy ideas and like the vision. And I think that is a really helpful. Right. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about MIT and what your goals are there. I know that you you just started the program, um, but medical engineering is really interesting. I know that that's what um, that you know that that's what you did through your internship. You know, um, do you have do you have a goal in mind? You know, when when you think about what you're hoping to get out of the program and the types of cool things that you might build um, while while you're there. Sure. So just a little plug for my undergraduate school. I went to Harvey Mudd College, and our mission, which um, we really believe in, is uh, Harvey Mudd seeks to educate scientists and engineers who understand the impact of their work on society. So we're technically a liberal arts college in that we take a lot of um, humanities courses. And one of the things I really cared about when thinking about like what I wanted to do with it, because I'm still quite young, I guess I'm still 22 only. And when I think about like what I want to do with the rest of my life, something I really care about is working on problems that I guess, improve quality of life for people and um, help others. Um, and it like, sounds like a bit of a cliche, but I do feel like it's motivating for me. And so um, going into grad school, my this program that I'm in here really appealed to me because um, it's basically really, so it's really broad. It's called medical engineering, but really you can choose any type of engineering and simply like apply it in a clinical setting. So for me, I'm in an optical coherence tomography lab. So we use sort of um, light wave, ultra sort of near infrared frequency light to basically image tissue. So whether that be in the eye or intravascularly, we use do a lot of like electrical engineering, optical engineering and lasers and physics and light and MATLAB and, you know, image processing to basically image things. <laughs> and, and that is a really, really important tool for things like diagnostics, for surgery um, for monitoring. And so that's what I'm working on. It's super fun. And I really enjoy the um, atmosphere here in Cambridge and Boston. It's um, There's a ton of incredible hospitals, which is a really big deal to me. So the opportunity to do like have connections with physicians and do, run like clinical studies is really important. And yeah, it's pretty exciting. I've lived in California my whole life. So I just moved here uh, this summer. And yeah, I'm excited for the next six years, I guess. That's really cool. Um, I'd love to, to transition over into killer robots and <laughs> tantrum. So, um, both you and Alex have been with, uh, the team since the very start. And maybe this is a question for both of you, but I'd love to start with you, Ginger, you know, like your thoughts on what it's like, what, what's changed over time to really see this amazing, glow up, I guess, of tantrum, you know, like from the very first season to like, you know, 2020 was just absolutely dominant. Um, and I know that people are really looking forward to seeing the robots performance in 2021, you know, um, and it's like the seasons keep getting better. So I'd love to to hear your thoughts on um, what the secret sauce, I guess, was for, for that improvement. Yeah, I think the 
central core ideology that has always been true to us is that our, as a team, we wanted to try something new that was exciting and that was sort of very appealing to us. So going into our first season when we had the titanium leaf spring, that was sort of like this like crazy idea. And we were sort of like, can we do it? And um, I would say like you mentioned tantrum, how to glow up. And so I guess like maybe what has changed then from that ideology, the, the ideology is still the same, but what has changed in process is I think our team has grown. I think um, one of the things that is really hard to emphasize is um, I guess in broad strokes, like 20% of the work takes 80% of the time. It's I think really, really, there are so many minor details that when you're in the battle box, if something is not like perfectly specced or mounted the right way can cause really far reaching issues that are impossible to change once you've gone to the event. So um, I would say what has stayed consistent is our mindset and our goals and our passions. But what has changed is time in the box. Um, over the years, we learn and are able to get box time. And that lets us know that, oh, our drive pods fail in this specific way that we never could have anticipated. So we're going to go back and fix it. So I think there's a lot of really, really rigorous engineering that goes into some of it. And a lot of it is also time. I think new concepts, um, I believe, usually should deserve like a season or two or three before they're you know thrown away. It takes time to prototype and to fix and to test. So yeah, I would say that is a lot of the glow up um, is can be attributed to those factors. Very cool. Alex, so your your thoughts on on tantrums improvement over time and um, you know, obviously there's high expectations, high hopes, you know, for tantrum fans uh this season. Um can you can you talk about, you know, that improvement? Um maybe if you want to highlight any any anything new, you know, this season for for the robot. Also, if it's secret, that's totally fine too. <laughs> no, I mean we're pretty we're pretty open about the majority of these robots, both Tantrum and Blip, and I mean it's super exciting to talk about all the aspects that uh, you've worked so hard for. Um, but yeah, part of the glow up, I think, uh, definitely can be attributed to uh, some of that rookie mentality. Um, I think that people have, uh, and it's, it comes in different flavors. Um, one thing you'll see is a lot of the FRC teams or the VEX teams that come in uh, and start doing battle bots is they have they have certain things that would fly for battle bot or for FRC like the you know those types of robotics competitions. But when you get into the battle box, like we we had to learn the hard way after season three uh, went very poorly, season four went poorly not as bad but went poorly as well and then making it to season five and having such an awesome 2020 season um definitely was beating some of those things out um we underspect a lot of the the gearboxes on the drive um like uh, certain things that you just don't really think about or you think that it'll turn out differently in the box than it does and so as ginger said the the box time i think is the most valuable we show up every year and make continual improvements. I mean, we had the fly, the spring flipper, and that was probably the only idea we'll have that we kind of drop after a year because we realized, hey, a flywheel flipper will do better 
but it's going to take some time to develop it. And so that ended up becoming Blip. Um, whereas uh, after that first year, we decided to go for a punching mechanism after the whole fist uh, kind of became our icon uh, for Tantrum. So we wanted to be able to actually punch people. So we, we, we went into season four with the puncher um, and, and learned how not to make a puncher and went to season five. And, yeah. I, I mean, really, like, it is just learning and figuring out, like, season four's biggest issue was the the reach and being able to actually hit the other opponent and then drivetrain. And so we went in, made changes to all of that, built a whole new robot for season five and the 2020 season that we made it to semifinals. And, but we feel really good about that. Um, and so the drivetrain was killer. I mean, we spent a lot of time developing that and, uh, that I would attribute the majority of our success to, um, because the puncher, while it was able to hit people now, uh, did have some failings, um, and had some reliability issues. And I mean, we didn't really get that many great hits. Uh, we, we knew we were at a lower energy level than a lot of other spinners and, uh, that doesn't really change. Um, I mean, we, we want to be a control bot first and foremost. So, uh, going into season five, ooh, season six here, uh, we wanted to give the same treatment that we had on the drivetrain to the weapon assembly. So we added a lot more material to the rails. Uh, we changed from the aluminum rails that failed us season prior um, and made a much more mechanically reliable system uh, for season six. Uh, that was the big thing we wanted to change. We were busy with blip. I mean, while Ginger and I are sitting here as co-captains of Tantrum, uh, I probably put in as much time on blip this year than I had for Tantrum years prior. And then on top of that, a uh, whole boatload of work for Tantrum. And so it was a very, very busy year for us. Um, and Tantrum had a uh, effectively a half rev. Like we didn't rev the whole robot. And so it was a lot of retrofitting and fixing what we could because uh, we knew Tantrum was you know still going to be awesome for this year. And we wanted to make sure he made it to the arena. And uh, we did that. So it was really exciting. So new new weapon reliability. Uh, the self writer, uh, coming out of the loss against Endgame last year, uh, we knew we wanted to change how the electronics worked. And so, for example, every single ESC on our robot now has its own radio. Um, and that allows us to have one, for example, our weapon failed in the Endgame fight, and that caused our self writer to not work. So, and that was entirely due to the radio receiver uh, being tied to the weapon. Uh, so we separated those. And so even if we lose the weapon disc, if we lose a drive, if we lose any individual system, as long as it's getting power, it has its own receiver and will keep on trucking. And so there's a lot of reliability uh, increases as a result of that. That's really cool. So I, I think, yeah. 
I think that's about it. Yeah. I'd love to, uh, to ask about one of your earlier experiments in the punching mechanism, um, your King of Bots entry boxing champion. Um, and our first listener question comes in from Richard Sum, who wants to know, your team did an amazing job in China. What was your experience there like, and would you return? Uh, yeah. Uh, the experience was awesome. It was very strange because it is a different type of show. Um, I'm unsure if they're going to have another season, but if they did, I would likely, uh, elect to go again. It was a lot of fun, uh, to hang out with people in a foreign country. And so just like the, uh, Europeans, uh, coming over to the U S and having fun in Vegas, uh, it's fun to go elsewhere and compete with robots. So, uh, we, we did learn cause it was, uh, a, a sort of half rev of that first punching robot that we had and so we did what we could we didn't have actually that much time between filming for BattleBots and for uh king of bots and so we added uh bot stops i think is the best way to describe them they're the little uh cute ears on the top of boxing champion that uh, allowed us to keep robots from driving on top of us and so we've, we've been playing a balancing act knowing that we can either prevent them from climbing on top of us to be able to catch an edge when we do our punching motion. Uh, and also having people intentionally go on top of us. And so season five of BattleBots, we had a lot of people, you know, Fusion, for example, coming up on top of us. And that can be a desirable effect in the battle box if you're trying to attack any belly pans or some, something of that sort. Uh, and so we probably had too many robots driving on top of us in season, you know, the 2020 version of BattleBots. Um, and so we had to actually find a balancing act. So that was one thing I didn't mention in upgrades for this year. We actually have two armor configurations, one that is uh, to allow robots to drive up and over us. And so we can attack belly pans and whatnot. And the other has those bot stops that we learned about um, working pretty effectively in China. And so it was a a good experience. And we definitely wouldn't have come in so strong for season five if we didn't go to that. I love talking to people who've been to China to compete on King of Bots because I always hear like the wildest stories like, um, oh, the power went out or we electrified a table or somebody's like weapon started going in the pits or like um, they changed the rules on us like midway through. Um, I don't know. Like, do you have any like funny stories? Do you have any amazing stories, any horror stories, anything like that you'd want to share with? A bunch of BattleBot super fans. Yeah, I have some fun. So I actually grew up in China when I was young. So I speak Mandarin fluently, which is a really random fun fact. And so being in China with Aaron and Alex and the rest of our team was super fun because I could actually translate for us fairly well. And so I think um, we tried to go out like outside of the filming just to like explore a new country. And so we went to a uh, Chinese spa. It was like a mineral, what was it? It was like a geothermal mineral spa, like hot spring pool. And it was really fun. Um, But we went on like a weekday or something. And so it was like super empty, but it was like very strange and very fun to just like try this like hot spring uh, spa and um, 
had a really good time, like sitting in these little like three foot rock pools, just like chatting about robots. And, and then we had like a really lovely dinner afterwards. Um, but it was like 45 minutes away and we were in like a taxi and, it, um, it, it was cool. It was like a little journey, I guess that would be like my, one of my highlights of the trip was that probably. That's really nice. Yeah, it, it was super nice. Um, uh, I'll add though the the reason we were able to uh, go to the spa and we we really really was the most relaxing uh, robot fighting competition I've ever taken part of. Um, but that was because the uh, filming was a bit different, and we were actually in a pool of robots that got added to the competition midway through filming as a. Uh, as a secret reinforcement, if you will, to the way that they film. It's kind of like the voice, you know, these celebrities make their team of robots and then they fight them. And so we got put into this pool of secret robots that got added as reinforcements. And we didn't fight any robots for the first two weeks of the, like, just shy of three weeks of filming while we were there. And, you know, my, my claim to fame was that I was there for two weeks and had to leave for a... Uh, wedding that I was in back in stateside and so I was there for two weeks and didn't see a single robot fight <laughs> so for, for, uh, for boxing champion I got to watch some other fights but yeah I didn't get to fight my robot after being there for so long well it sounds like a very relaxing vacation at least for for you Alex so that's good and Ginger did a great job she took over as the uh, driver for that and it went really really well so that's awesome. All right, I'm going to turn over uh, the uh, the questions to Nicole. She's got about a million, million and a half uh, fan questions. So take it away. Yeah, that's actually, it's a good segue that you were talking about drivers. Um, we're we're going to start with some great questions from BattleBot superfan Alexander Archer. And one of the things he wanted to know is who is driving Tantrum this year? And how much practice did you get in advance? Yeah, so Tantrum typically has two drivers one being a base driver who moves it around and does the drivetrain. And we have a secondary driver that uh, does the spin on our weapon and um, the punch. So for this year, uh, we actually have our weapons operator from last year, Dylan Carey, who is now driving the robot as the main driver. And then Brian Silverman, who is like our electronics guru and speed controller guru, is doing the secondary driving of like the weapon. And we also have um, a self-writer, which can or cannot be a third operator if we want it to be. Yeah. And I think uh, I think I read that question on, on Facebook. And I just like to add, you know, one of the things that we wanted to do with Tantrum this year was showcase uh, how, you know, BattleBots isn't just one person. It's not just Aaron Hill uh, at the helm and doing everything, building the robot, you know, driving the robot, competing in it. And so Ginger and I made the decision pretty early to be uh, non-driver captains. So we're co-captains uh, and neither of us drive the robot. So it's it kind of fun. Like you got to go talk to people and not get stressed about, you know, the, the, the match. Um, but you could, you know, maybe stress out the other driver who happens to be the team captain. <laughs> so it's kind of fun. Uh, I'm going to add a question in here. I think we, we've all discussed behind the scenes. I'm curious, Ginger, there aren't any female drivers out there, I don't think. And, and Do you have any idea why that is? And, and, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, that's an interesting question. I don't know 
I haven't really thought about it, I guess, but mm, off the top of my head, I think there are just not as many women generally in BattleBots. So obviously if you have less participants, you're going to have a smaller pool for that possibility to arise for one of them to be a driver. Yeah, that would probably be the main one, really. It's just there are so few women competing, relatively speaking, that it's less likely one of them will be a driver. I also think the big one is like um, separation of like roles is really important. Like, I think one thing our team is really good at is um, we all have strengths and weaknesses and we puzzle them together in a way that's really productive. So, you know, our driver is Dylan Carey is amazing. Like he was practicing with Aaron and parking lots, like before the event and getting some good drive time in. And like, he's just like a better driver than me. So it's like a pretty obvious, um, decision there in terms of like who has more experience and who has more time, you know, driving tantrum. So I guess I can't speak broadly about that, that that would be my answer. All right. That's cool. Um, so either one of you can answer this. How how does it feel personally captaining this this robot that had such a great season last year? Um, you know, made it all the way to the semifinals before losing to who was the champion Endgame. Um, just how how does it feel for you personally competing with this robot? Uh, there's a lot of pressure. I I think at least um, for me and Alex personally, we definitely wanted to prove that tantrum you know, our performance last year wasn't just like a fluke. Like we didn't just get lucky. I think uh, it takes a village, obviously tantrum, the robot itself is well-engineered. So that is like half the job, but the other half of the job is the pit repair, the maintenance, the sort of the strategy. And, um, we still all worked together. Really. We had blip and tantrum. We're all part of our team. We call seems, re- you know, seems reasonable robotics. So we, we, we still really work hand in hand. I would say we share a pit, we share all of our tools and uh, I, I worked on blip in the pits and vice versa on tantrum. So, um, yeah, I would say that would be, I don't know, Alex, do you want to add anything? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a transition, uh, the public speaking skills and, like beyond just building a robot is, is, is definitely a new field to jump into. And so, uh, getting used to some of that and having some more attention, I've, I've, I've always been kind of off to the side and intentionally, you know, I'm not really a big attention seeker. And so it's, it was fun to just kind of have that discussion when we knew we were going to submit blip, uh, we weren't sure who was going to be captain and what was going to happen with tantrum. And so we were just like, you know, what, what, what would make sense? And, uh, I kind of jumped in there, just said, you know what, well, we'll make it happen. We'll make tantrum happen. And, uh, I guess the rest is kind of history is just making sure that while Aaron has his shiny object syndrome and is working on blip that, uh, tantrum doesn't get forgotten. And uh, I think we we do, you know, tantrum justice and brought a robot that we were proud of. I mean, it wasn't a full rev. We didn't fix every single little issue, but we're happy with uh, what we showed up with. Yeah, definitely. Um, Did Aaron give you any advice for for using this this bot? uh no i mean like we've been here the whole time so there wasn't really any like technical things to have advice for you know i did ask him 
Like, what was the interviewing process like? You know, I got real nervous about that. And his only real advice was, you know, if I can do it, so so can you. And I've known Aaron long enough that there is some <laughs> truth to that sentiment. Why Why did the team decide to go with two bots this year? I mean, I think we had blip on our mind for a while. But after Tantrum's performance last year and the sort of like love we received, it would have been a real shame to not bring it back. So the option was why not both? And that was, was that was pretty much the decision. <laughs> Last question, I think, from this bunch is, uh, do you have any dream matchups for Tantrum? Well, we would love Tantrum and Blip to see each other in the finals for the giant nut one day, I would say would be my dream matchup. That would be everything we could ever, ever dream of and more. So that would be my dream matchup. What about you, Alex? Uh, I mean, yeah, seeing your two robots make it like do do well. And I mean, just even fighting in a normal fight night match would, would be amazing. Um, but uh, what would be the dream matchup? Uh, I think, honestly, it'd be a rematch with Tombstone. Because, like, you know, we, we were kind of the meme bot going into season three at the end there when it was just, you know, beat up Tantrum and get the, the fist. Um, and so, you know, it is interesting, too, when you, like, kind of look at that 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 fight, because if the fist didn't, you know, get launched off and get stuck in the arena like it did, uh, you know, that fight probably wouldn't have made it to air. Tantrum wouldn't have been on people's minds when they were like, when we were reapplying and obviously we had a poor performance and it's kind of like an interesting butterfly effect where, you know, that one in a million shot, like, was that the difference of us getting back in for season four, you know, did that make the difference? And, and so it's kind of cool to like, kind of think about that. But then from the technology standpoint, having that rematch kind of shows how far tantrums come. I mean, we're happy to take the, you know, hardest hits now and just shrug them off. And so kind of seeing where that goes is, it's just a really cool thought. So I'd love to see that fight. Yeah. I'm sure the fans would too. I'm just going to give a follow-up to Ginger. Then if your dream match is tantrum versus blip, who do you think would win? (laughs) Well, I would only really, I think want to fight blip in the finals of the championship bracket, because that would mean we, you know, us as a team win regardless um, I would, it would be sad, I think, to have, um, to fight each other. It would be a very expensive match for our team, certainly, regardless of what happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know who would win. I think that's a tough question. I think we both have the same drivetrain. Um, we have very different weapons. So I think it would probably come down to a driving match between drivers and between control. Whoever could, uh, get under the other robot would probably win. It's okay, Tan- you can say tantrum, Ginger. I mean, no. I think tantrum would win, obviously, but I'm trying yeah. to be. <laughs> I'm trying to give a uh, nice answer. <laughs> that is a nice answer. You should root for yourself. That's okay. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna throw it over to Lindsay for some more questions from our listeners. All right, so we have two good questions here from Jake Anderson. The first being. What possessed you to put a spinner on a moving mechanism? Yeah, I think the rationale behind it was that um, we wanted Tantrum to be a control bot. And 
The problem with vertical spinners who have their weapon hard mounted to the front of their robot is once you touch the other robot, like once you run into your opponent, either they go flying and you lose that control or um, your weapon will get, basically stop spinning and you then you don't have the room to regain all of your momentum and to spin up your weapon. And so one of Tantrum's strengths is that we have the ability to corral other robots. We can push them, drive them around because we have a really strong drivetrain. And then once we get them pinned either up against a wall or on top of us, then we can shoot our weapon forward and punch them. And the other thing is if we do hit them and we our weapon will lose its momentum from imparting all that energy, we can then bring the punch to the back of a robot where it's safe and protected from our opponent's weapon. Then we spin it up to full energy and then can sort of deliver additional hits or that first really, really hard hit. So I would say that's, I guess, the theory behind the punch and how it came about. I love it. And and plus it's it's novel, right? I mean, you don't really see that many bots, if any, um, you know, be able to work in the way that you do. I, I mean, Tantrum's weapon specifically is very um, singular, I would say. And so, I mean, it just makes for a really, really cool watch and, and a great bot. One of the coolest things, I think, through the development of the puncher on Tantrum, uh, for me anyway, is it is novel in not only that it like provides a different like viewing experience, like you can watch a tantrum fight and it's not going to be like anyone else's fight. But uh, after the fights, we have uh, opponents coming to us and saying, how, how the hell did you hit that? Right. The tantrum hits opponents in really strange places and they're just not expecting it. Uh, like in the Valkyrie fight uh, in 20, in season five, like they came to us and their entire uh, bearing assembly was uh, ready to is, is like one weld away from completely getting uh, removed or uh, detached from the rest of the frame. And they've never seen that before. And it's, it's just weird places that you don't expect to get hit is where Tantrum will find uh, purchase. And it's, it's really fun to, to kind of see that developed because we weren't expecting that. Uh, in the development process way back when when we started this. And it's now, you know, season five and now season six, it's just really exciting to see where where Tantrum will hit you. With every degree of freedom that we add, I think like um, even if you're not like a mechanical design engineer, like you may have some intuition of the idea, like linear slides are often incredibly difficult to get run smoothly. If you have like, for instance, like old, chest of drawers in your house, like pulling those drawers in and out can be a real pain. They get misaligned. Um, they get stuck. They get wedged in a funny angle. All those same growing pains or good pains you have, um, I guess tantrum has too, I guess with the linear slide. Right. So I think maybe one reason why you don't see a lot of similar ones like that is because it's sort of a, in a high impact situation to put a linear slide on your robot is sort of funny, but, um, so yeah, I would say that too. I think it's fun. But having more degrees of freedom also gives us more room to play. So it adds complexity, it adds chance for failure, but we can play with them and use them in our strategy in unique ways. I love that. And uh, I have uh, in my dresser, the second drawer always gets stuck. So now I will think of tantrum fondly every time I try to open it. Um so, all right, second question here from Jake. What spirit possessed the robot to make that work as surprisingly reliably as it did last year? My guess is it wasn't a spirit at all. It was all of your hard work and experience and practice, but I'll let you answer. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with your answer. I mean, it, it 
it was a lot of hard work, uh, you know, building off of everything that we've done in the past, you know, two seasons with Tantrum uh, going into season five. And uh, really, it's just like you, you have a team. I think now we are up to like 16 or 17 people all just, you know, busting ass and working really hard to make this happen. Um, and it, 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 it's one of those things that's really exciting to see it work in the arena. And, and so, like, I just want to, you know, applaud all the hard work that the team is, has done. It's, it's, it, it, takes a, it takes a village to, to make this sort of thing happen. And so we're really excited about that. Excellent. So we have a two-part question from Chris Horry who asks, Last year, taking out the weapon also took out the self-writing mechanism. Were you able to make these more robust? Uh, yeah, I touched on that earlier. Uh, the the root failure there on the self writer was that the receiver was looking at the the speed control rather was looking at the receiver that was powering the entire weapon assembly. So we had one receiver for the drive last year, and then one receiver for the weapon, the spin, punch, and the self writer. And so when the speed control for the weapon uh, blew up. Uh, that took out that receiver, and so we lost the punch, the spin, and the self writer, which inevitably was our demise. So we we did fix that. We put a uh, a different receiver on every single ESC, and uh, we're yeah we're happy with that decision. Like it's a, a very uh, very smart like reliability choice. It just you know costs a bit more money. <laughs> yeah, there's always the catch, right? Um, so, uh, his second question is how was it, um, going from team member to now being co-captains now that the spotlight is on you, uh, and all that attention that comes with it? Yeah, I think the, we very intentionally chose me and Alex to represent the team as spokespeople because, uh, like our organization is built off of the work of like many of us. And so, we felt like me and Alex would represent that. And also, I think there are not many co-captains in BattleBots. There are a number that I think are known, but Alex and I really wanted to emphasize the team aspect and the co-captain aspect of it. So it was really fun for me to be co-captain with Alex because he's like a ball of energy and always is like basically super fun. So we have a good time with interviews. I think it made interviews easier too, that we were able to bounce off of each other's dynamic and also, I guess, have like more personality perhaps because the both of us were there. So I really enjoyed it. I definitely would do it again. And I think we made the right choice. That's awesome. Um, all right. So BattleBots builder, Andrew Burgraff writes, first off, y'all are brilliant. But how does your team dream up such creative assemblies? I think it's really just kind of looking at trying to solve some issue and then coming up with good ideas, bad ideas, and everything in between, and not discounting those bad ideas necessarily, uh, just because of you know one disqualifying thing. So like the flipper blip is a is a good example. It's it's I I would say you know this crazy marvel of engineering that has gone into blip. Um, and not everyone is up to that task. And so, uh, taking an idea, which is a flywheel flipper, it's, it's nothing new, right? The flywheel flipper has been tried by a lot of people at different weight classes in combat robotics, 
but it's kind of always been that holy grail because of the uh, inherent benefits you have from it. Um, and so you kind of take those ideas that might not, you know, sound the best on paper initially and you try them out. I mean, you, everyone has those ideas that just like they look at, you know, they think, you know, this isn't going to work. I'm not going to pursue it. But when you take some of those and, you know, build a three pounder, which is what we did, we started with a three pound version of blip, um, and a lot of spreadsheets and a lot of engineering, uh, you can make those weird ideas happen and, 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 uh, you know, take it to the battle box. Awesome. Um, so Drew Willis wants to know, do the flamethrowers actually work this season? Uh, we have flamethrowers and, uh, it is a configuration. So whether or not you see it will depend on what configuration we're going to use. Uh, cause we do have, uh, a lot of different ways of configuring tantrum as well as a mini bot that you know isn't isn't you know zero weight and so you'll have to see um but we do have that as a configuration fun mysterious i love it <laughs> um so craig leblanc asks a very popular tantrum question have you considered changing the drum to something with a longer reach to get a better bite when hitting an opponent that was one of the main design iterations we made from season four to season five. So each of our weapons, um, they're extremely expensive to manufacture and they were pretty much for the most part fine after each of our seasons. So one of the constraints is like, we didn't want to re-manufacture, redesign the actual weapon disc, the material itself, but we did increase the length of the linear slide for season five. And I think that's why you all saw it punch a little better. I would say like increasing weapon reach is an interesting question now because of like the sort of ground game meta that has emerged. It's almost like doesn't necessarily matter. So because it like the first contact with others is often like your wedge or like your forks anyhow, depending on like who you're fighting or what like your opponent's strategy is. So for tantrum, like we pretty much need to get under them and control them anyhow. So having like a larger weapon or having it go further may not necessarily make as much of a difference. It's hard to know though, obviously, but like, you know, big constraint manufacturing, second constraint is we have to ground game and have to drive well enough and control well enough to get them in the right spot anyhow. And I think like we actually had like an inverse issue where robots would come on top of us as well, which is why we added the little shoulders as blocks. So we were still able to get some punch. So yeah, I would say that those are our answers, but we may look into that for um, Rev as well. Nice. Uh, and so Curtis Honeycutt wants to know, when designing Tantrum, how did you arrive at the specific eyebrow angle to get the friendliness to anger ratio just right? Yeah, we, like Alex and I have been mentioning, have a large dedicated team. And so there's a really awesome a graphic design artist in the actually Boston area near me named Christine. And she did the drawing for Tantrum's Eyes and Blips, actually. That's awesome. So Ben Moak wants to know, I hope I'm allowed to ask a Blip-related question. And if you can't answer this, that is totally fine. Uh, but does Blip suffer from any gyroscopic precession or am I misinterpreting the mechanism? I think that you're interpreting it correctly. Uh, we did actually put out a YouTube video that showcases uh, a lot of the build and early testing 
uh, and I guess late testing right before we went to competition of uh, Blip. And so I'd recommend going and watching that because you will uh, find the answer to your question in that towards the end. Nice. And uh, a good life related question from John Meredith, who asks, how do you all find balance in your lives between your commitments to school, the team and the occasional hour of sleep? How do you stay organized and prioritize what's important? I mean, you'll hear a lot of builders say this is a second job for them. And I think that's true for for us as well. And so it's 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 just kind of finding the time and making sure that that's your passion and that's a hobby that you're willing to put the time towards because the uh, work-life balance is tough, but the rewards are worth it in the end, I think. I mean, you meet a lot of people. And when you also look at it from a networking standpoint, uh, I, I don't know if you can find a single tent in the middle of Vegas, right, in the... <laughs> the middle of august uh with a smarter group of people right like going there and meeting the people that we meet is is i think one of the biggest rewards and we get to fight robots on the side awesome all right so uh we are going to close out the show like we often do with a series of deeply philosophical questions from battlebot superfan mary Catherine carr uh who begins her questions by saying Ginger and Alex are two of my favorite new captains for 2020, especially Ginger. Uh, So you've got a big fan in Mary. Um, So her first question, and she has a few, is how did the Seems Reasonable team decide who would work on Tantrum and who would work on Blip? I think maybe you've touched on this already, but I don't know if there's anything else you want to add. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that we actually shared a pet. So we were able to work on both robots together. There was some stratification as like the event went on where people sort of had dedicated roles and dedicated uh, assemblies that they owned personally, but it was pretty natural. I think it just happened with uh, whoever worked on what in the preseason ended up owning a similar part during the competition pretty much. Cool. Um, And so is Tantrum frustrated that the writers kept referring to his little sister as a he? Uh, I think they w- like jumped back and forth. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, after editing, if they fix that or if they have some level of consistency. But no, I don't think so. I think we- <laughs> I think robots are pretty non-gendered. But yeah, I don't think we actually necessarily ever decided on formal genders for the robots. So I would call them relatively gender fluid. I think they're okay with. Um, yeah, however they want to express themselves on any day. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, will these awesome Tantrum and Blip jerseys be on sale at some point? Yeah, we're working on actually opening a storefront. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that coming soon. We also have a bunch of awesome parts that we will be eBaying. Last year, that was a really big success for us. And we were able to fund a lot of our building through that so we definitely intentionally set aside more parts to share with you all this season awesome that's uh that's very exciting um so do tantrum and blip need a nanny or does BattleBots help to soothe them well i think tantrum is definitely pretty feisty even the robot itself this year having only undergone a half rev had a lot of little phantoms that we had to work through so um I would say like our team definitely had to nanny them through some issues, uh, but they love battle bots. Obviously tantrum and flip. That's when they're happiest is fighting <laughs> other robots. So It was fun. 
Nice. Uh, so did you get to enjoy any Vegas sites or restaurants uh, while you were there? And if so, which were your favorites? <laughs> uh, my mom actually came to visit and we gambled a secret amount on red on a roulette table <laughs> and we only did it once and it was red so we doubled our money and then left so I would say that was exciting I was too scared to go again I was like let's take our food and leave um so that was super fun nice yeah no I mean we we, we did it a little bit but not as much as we had hoped uh we would so maybe we'll get to competition a day early next year so we can go out and and see the uh the the great Vegas sites. Yeah. Running two robots is more work than one. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, that's cool. And I mean, I guess that's the benefit, right, of uh, knowing that it's going to be in Vegas again next year is uh, hopefully, hopefully you can plan at least one day for you guys to go out and have fun because it's a ton of work, but uh, hopefully you have a chance to, you know, enjoy the enjoy the town too yeah feel free to dm us with any suggestions if any fans were there watching and did anything fun uh so a couple last questions does blip ever stick some of her flywheel goo on tantrum to rile him up wow this is uh, some serious sibling rivalry questions (laughs) you know i know that question may have been a joke but it's actually um relevant because we had to do a lot of like lubrication and grease science for the flywheel flipper. And so we had a lot of um, red grease (laughs) and it definitely made its way around the pit. So uh, there may be more truth to this question (laughs) than was intended. um, I mean, grease is grease. Tantrum has parts that use grease, our bearing, our, our rails. So yeah, it was, it was everywhere for sure. That's funny. Uh, So Tantrum fists for sale when? Uh, we're, we're looking at that for the web store as well. Uh, it's just kind of making, making the, uh, time to f- sort out any logistics on that and, uh, figuring out manufacturing. Cause it's, uh, definitely not something that you can just go over and purchase for uh, bulk wholesale. <laughs> yeah. Although actually this year we, um, printed new little mini self rider fists for every fight that we chose to go in with that configuration with. So we also then took them off the robot and labeled them for each fight. So throughout the season, I think as our episodes air, hopefully we'll also be able to um, offer those up to people. Awesome. And so last question, uh, you can both answer uh, on a scale of one to 10. How much fun did you have this season? Um, I'd say I had nine and a half, uh, the half point being that, you know, it's, it's building robots, there's stressful times and, uh, we, we definitely needed to, uh, get the robots in, into all of its fights and all working condition. And so it was, it was a lot of late nights and I think that that keeps it from a 10, but otherwise it was a fantastic time and like, I, I, I loved it. Yeah, I would agree exactly what Alex said. I'm already, you know, the season hasn't even aired and I'm looking forward to the next one, although there's still so much work that has to be done before then. Awesome. Well, thanks to both of you so much for talking to us. We can't wait to see Tantrum in the Battle Box, you know, this upcoming season. And we are so excited to see how how you guys do. So thanks again so, so much for, for chatting with us. Yeah, thank you all so much. This was really lovely. Yeah, yeah, it was really fun.
I appreciate it. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we're traveling to China, where the electric car company Xpeng says it's developing a large robotic unicorn that children can someday own and ride. Yes, this is one I can fully get behind. Uh, in a promotional video, the unicorn appeared to stand at four feet tall and was capable of recognizing objects, navigating around obstacles, and talking with children. Robotic talking unicorns. Yes. The unicorn is part of XPeng's so-called warm technology design philosophy, which attempts to make technology more friendly and inviting. Sure, this still could be a killer unicorn somewhere deep down, but like I'm totally sold. I want one for myself immediately. Imagine like hopping on your robotic unicorn and going down, you know, the the block to like your favorite coffee shop. Ah. Uh, Especially especially as an adult-sized human riding on a four-foot-tall uh, children-sized unicorn, I think that would be awesome. That needs to be my current mode of transportation anywhere I go, and I need to be wearing a full business suit while I do it with a very slick haircut, and I need to be always talking to my investors on my cell phone. I saw. I, I hate to burst your uh, your unicorn bubble, Kyle, but I saw the uh, the renderings of this thing, and its legs are very thin. I think of that unicorn would just crumple under uh, under adult weight. Oh, yes, that's too bad. <laughs> I mean, you you, get, you gotta wonder. Uh, you know, if it's four feet tall, they could just scale it up to eight feet tall, and everyone could be riding robotic unicorns. What's the difference, really, at that point? Yeah, no. That what's the difference between four feet and eight feet? No difference. I'm uh, I'm looking at a photo of this so-called unicorn, which I was so jazzed about, but it's not pink or purple, and the horn is like the tiniest little nub on its head, which I guess is like probably for safety. But I I wouldn't not call this a unicorn. What would you call this? Like a a rideable Boston Dynamics dog? Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like, but with friendlier <laughs> with like friendlier eyes i don't know Ooh, i like that the children in the promotional video have helmets though that makes me happy as a parent i like it i'm a big fan of this thing i like how expressive the face is uh does it talk uh i think so yeah i think so but you know only in mandarin so you know your kids have got to learn <laughs> got to learn another language to communicate with their unicorn that's fine. Squishy brain, small children, they can figure out new languages really fast. Kyle, if your yeah. kids get one of these, will they let me play with it? Obviously, yes. Sweet. If my kids get one of these, they're going to ride it to Norwalk Havoc. Oh, man, yes. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want that, right? Everybody there would be uh, really into that, I'd imagine. <laughs> Just don't let it in the battle box. No, that's not going to be allowed ever. But yeah, I think the people would really like it. I agree. Well, that's about it for uh, us today. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another mystery guest. See you, everybody. Bye. Bye. See ya. Bye. <laughs>